social networking was supposed to be, you know, sort of a good thing where you can have these things out in public and have these discussions in public. It was supposed to be that. You know, I was I was on Google Plus. I loved it. I thought it was great. I had some amazing conversations that range from very rewarding and foundational and something to build on to things that were just utterly disgusting and horrible and things I never wanted to read again. You know, um, I, I equated it to my IRC days in the early nineties, but it, it just is not, that's, that is not the norm. The norm is what we talked about before, which is uh, people aren't allowed to evolve. And I think it limits us. I, I, I really do think that until we reject what, we're doing now in society um, in terms of being able to talk openly and be willing to be wrong and say that's okay and you're not going to be judged for it. I, I don't think we solve any of the problems. I don't think the business problem gets solved and I don't think the general case gets solved either. Okay, Jeff, it is another special episode today because we have another guest. Another guest. Excellent. Yes. We just had one recently, but I figured let's just go ahead and do another one because I think this is going to be another great conversation. Is he, is he opinionated? Because uh, otherwise he doesn't really belong on the show. Oh, he's he's got some opinions. Keith has some opinions. That's good. So for those that don't know who Keith is, I did an interview with him previously. It is on my other show, Open Source Voices. I will have a link for that down in the show notes. So you can go, if you want, pause this episode, go listen to that one. Uh, we talk about how Keith got involved in Linux, how he got involved in open source, his, uh, his journey through technology, how he started off as a little kid playing on computers, thinking that, you know, it repeating his name over and over on the screen was the coolest thing ever, to now he is, I guess you would call him a solutions architect. He, mm-hmm. he works with businesses, and he finds where they have problems, and then take open source and use it to then solve their problems. So in our conversation, uh, he was talking about one of the things that drew him towards open source and about how it's a community effort and we all work together. And he mentioned about how he didn't want to be the guy, so to speak, at IBM or Cisco, because, you know, what happens if something happens to him? Everybody is, you know, then hung out to dry because obviously we as individuals are limited. And he mentioned it was kind of just a passing a passing comment, but it's something I thought about as well. And he said that. You know, he's he's thought about open source being a philosophy, not just about technology, but being kind of a general philosophy of life. And as soon as he said that, like the light just went off in my head because Mm -hmm. I thought about that, too. And it's something Mm -hmm. that I've wanted to kind of dig into, but I can never kind of get through all the thoughts myself because it's a broad idea. Mm -hmm. And I've mentioned it to other people. And they've kind of said, yeah, there's there's something there. there. There's an idea there. There's something there's something there we should figure out. We should dig into. But I just never get around to it. So I was like, you know what? I just need to get Keith on and have Keith hash this idea out with us mm-hmm. and bring the community along and start a discussion about it. I like the idea. So some of the things that he had sent, uh, mentioned in the, the OSB episode really resonated with me. That line resonated with me and solving problems using open source, but it's not always just open source. That's the, the part of the solution. You have to kind of mix it together. And, and I, I think uh, when you had mentioned open source philosophy, I was also thinking uh, open source is a lifestyle. 
and like how I would try to hire people, how I would try to, the kind of people I'm looking for are the kind of brains that would do well in open source. Ideally, they're already in open source, but like uh, you and Keith identified the engineering mindset or skill set, which is, let's say, I don't say in tandem with open source, but you often find them coincident. Rarely do I find someone who's deeply in open source who doesn't also have that mindset. And if I'm hiring somebody, that's what I'm looking for all the time. And so it seems like this is a great topic and a great, uh, let's, let's bring it out. Let's, let's get some, some light on this topic and see if we can get some, some community going around this. So Keith, since this was, uh, I guess you were the, the seed of this conversation, I'm going to pass the mic to you and just kind of let you go off in whatever thoughts you had right off the top of your head and we'll get into it. Okay, great guys. Sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. And, um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this, uh, discussion. Um, I, I, I already appreciate that you guys have also thought about this in, in some way. And I think all I've maybe done is take, you know, maybe just a couple of more steps ahead because it's, you know, as we know, uh, th that engineering brain is always about constant optimization, right? So you, you use an idea until it doesn't work and you throw that out, try something else and you might, you might go back to something, you might go, you know, deep in the weeds on something, but you're, you're always trying to do better, right? So uh, what I thought I would do to maybe ground things a little bit is to sort of set up where I came from, you know, on this or, or where I started contemplating this for myself, right? Just a little bit, you know, a little bit of a foundation. Um, and then maybe some prerequisites to even have what I think is sort of a philosophical conversation or, you know, I, I like the point of it being a lifestyle because that's sort of the cool term, right? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm old school. I'd say philosophy, but if you if you want to talk to younger people, you got to say lifestyle because that's their thing. But I think we all know what we're talking about. So, mm -hmm. um, the first thing I always like to say when it comes to topics like this is that I don't, I don't think I'm saying anything that's new or um, some great consideration. Right. I, I don't I don't naturally think I'm the smartest guy in the room or I, I you know, my voice is, you know, louder and it's going to penetrate more. I, I don't I don't I don't do that. Right. I don't I don't think that way. So what I always tell people is this is just how I came to this idea. Right. The, I may say something and, and people go, well, that's just this. OK, that's fine. That's just this to you. That's not that for me. I'm using different words. OK. Uh, we all speak English. We know English is an interesting language, right? There's like a million ways to say one thing. <laughs> so let's let's throw out the notion that there's only one way to say something, right? But, you know, let's also consider that um, there's maybe other ways to even talk about this. So this is sort of my presentation of it. Now, that said, um, yes, I am highly opinionated, <laughs> which um, I, I hope will be appreciated. One of the things that we have to, I think, also acknowledge in conversations like this is that we've got too many followers in society, right? This is sort of a, a, a base issue that uh, prevents people from even having these contemplations, right? Um, I, I wish that wasn't the case, but the truth of the matter is that there are people that are afraid to question the herd because they don't want to be ostracized. and. What I like to tell people is that um, you probably want to get over that. You're never going to make everybody happy. 
um, everybody that's in the herd at some point will be ostracized by the herd or be looked at cross-eyed. If that never happens to you in your life, you're not living, right? You you got to push you got to push boundaries because as far as we know, we get one of these things and we, you you got to sort of make it interesting, right? Now, those two points out the way. What is an open source way, right? What is the you know the 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 DAO, right? It's the DAO of open source. Um, definitions. We like we like definitions. We like to start with some sort of common uh, point. Well, open and source. So keep it simple. Open and source. For me, open is the unrestricted availability to seek and receive knowledge. That's all it is. Source would be the thing um, from which knowledge can be received. Now, when I say thing, that thing could be a person, but what, 60% of our sensory input is through our eyes, right? Well, if you want to sit on a bench and look at the water flow in a river, okay, well, the river is a thing that you can you can learn from. You can understand something about currents. You can understand something about how things move. You take a pebble, throw it across, skip a pebble. Well, how do I do that? I get it three times. How do I get to the fourth one? The river's not talking to you, <laughs> okay? But the river is communicating to you. So when I say thing, I don't mean that necessarily literally. It's just that which you are receiving some knowledge from, right? So I think I want to stop there because I want to know what you guys think about that. Like, you know, is that even a definition of, of open source? What do you, you know, just to get, get back to you guys, what do you, what do you think about those two points? So what does open source mean? Uh, that's... I have like 15 answers that I want to give. Uh, I think the one that is my gut reaction, which is the one that first comes out when someone asks kind of what is like the, the open source way. My response is always, and I, I believe I've said this in, in prior interviews that I've done with other people, is that for me, open source is an extension of the scientific method. It's the exchange of knowledge and information back and forth. And we're all taking what people before us did and using that, we're standing on the shoulders of giants trying to push the envelope of what's possible or what we can do just a little bit. You know, we're, we might not be able to change the world, but if we can push it just a little bit in one area, well, then the next person can stand on our shoulders and push that a little further. And the next person can then step in and take what both of us have done and, and do something else. So for me, that's one of the reasons why kind of the deeper philosophical discussion is so interesting around this, because A, I'm, I'm into philosophy. Uh, our last interview, as a matter of fact, with uh, the CEO of Proton Technologies, uh, I was talking about ancient Greek philosophers, you know, Euripides and all those things. So I'm, I'm, I'm totally down with that conversation. And I, I had a feeling that you were as well. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on, because I knew this would be something we could definitely get into. So for me, open source is it's like I said, it's that extension of the scientific method and all of us kind of working together. Yes, for our own benefit. But because we're all working together for that same benefit, we're all benefiting from everyone else's effort. Awesome. Awesome. So I can echo, echo what you're saying there. I would go a step farther and I would say perhaps uh, any, any position you're in, every, every situation you're in, there's a thousand or 10,000 storylines happening all around you if you're just willing to pay attention. And it's a matter of what's the depth you want to go into. I'm standing in the corner and I feel an air current passing across my bald head 
this happened when I shaved my head the one time. I was like, oh, I can tell where the air currents are in the room. And I started wandering around and figuring out, I figured out very quickly one room in the house is like, man, we're not getting much cooling in here at all because I did not feel it across my bald head. Just silly things like that. But there, that's a storyline. That's a thing I can study. At any moment in time, there's fascinating, thing hap- fascinating things happening everywhere. Open source to me is letting me look at uh, the technical details of things that I'm willing to dive in and look at, just like if I was willing to dive in and look at how an anthill is moving around or look at how a circuit is put together or uh, how medication is metabolized by the body. All this is information. The standard model that people would approach is closed source means I can't go and study that. Those are storylines are closed to me. So the DAO of open source for me is the fact that I can study anything I want. My only limitation is my interest and my resources. I love that, Jeff. I, I, I love that. That's, that's, yeah. The, and you hit on something that um, I also like, this concept of, I, I like to take from everything, right? And this is what I mean by that unrestricted availability to seek and receive knowledge. Because I know professionally, one of the things that, I always get positive feedback on is that my solutions are very direct, right? And, but the inspiration for that solution may come from anything. So just like you're saying, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out what's going on with these, you know, the, the airflow in my home, you know, and you just happen to notice one day that, oh, you shave your head and well, that feels different. What is that about? And you're walking around and doing that. You're, you are letting that knowledge lead you because it's just flowing. And like you mm-hmm. said, there's so many things going on, right? That if you just pay attention, you you start to just engage on things and your mind goes to places where you're not expecting them. And that inspiration, I think, is why when you talk about that flow of information and, and getting that inspiration, to me, that's sort of a major, major point, right? Because when you talk about the tech community, you know, everybody's talking about, oh, well, I did this in this language, or I used this piece of hardware to solve this problem. And I go, yeah, that's kind of interesting. But my point of view is always from, you know, will be what I would call the human side of things, right? I, I, when I take text with me to, to meetings, you're not talking about technology. You're talking about things from that human point of view. And I know we mm-hmm. talked about that last time, JT. But Jeff, to your point, like one of the things I wanted to even get further into as well is this concept of um, what I call knowledge versus understanding. And so one of the other things I like to point out in discussions like this, because I think it's, a, it's one of the things that we really, really do miss so much in conversations these days, is that just because someone has knowledge doesn't mean they have understanding, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, one of the things that always irks me is that people want the, 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 not so much the solution right away, but they don't want to work. And what I mean by that is work is, work is a, you know, one of the pieces of work is you doing something, right? It's, it's energy times time or something like that. There's, you know, depending on which equation you're talking about, but I like to always relate things back to the physical world. So if you are simply sitting down and contemplating something, you know, for those of us that do that, we know that that's kind of tiring. If you have the type of experience that's very mental, yeah, you can be mentally drained and you can be physically drained. And anyone who's been both knows that being mentally drained from something is way more taxing. It's way more taxing, right? Because it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot more for your, your brain to sort of get back to a point of equilibrium where it's not working. So 
I think another piece of this conversation is to talk about knowledge versus understanding. But from the point of you're never going to get understanding unless you put some work in, right? So if you if you talk about um so I, I, so I was going to bring this up later, but I'll bring it up now. So I, I drive manual, right? Stick shift. Absolutely hate automatics. <laughs> okay. Um, now, if you if you know how to drive a manual, and you know how to drive a manual well, right? So knowledge versus understanding. I know how to drive a manual, but I really know how to drive a manual. So a little bit more, you have a little bit more understanding. When someone says, I don't like driving a manual because that is, quote unquote, more work. Any of us that have that normally drive manual prefer we go, what are you talking about? That's that's not work. Right. And that's because. You know, the first point I'll make, I'll make a subsequent point, but the, the base level point is. If I am engaging on something that is enriching me, okay, That's not work. Right. If I'm taking that deep dive to learn something, at, at a certain point, it, it, it's not work. You you initially it is because you're acute, you're starting to accumulate knowledge, right? So maybe you go on, maybe you go on YouTube and research um how to drive a manual, right? And you know, you get some some young kid who's got the camera on the dash and on the floor, and you're watching his feet and watching his arm. And someone who's never seen this, they go, wow, that again, that looks like a lot of work. It looks very complicated. But you start to watch a bunch of these videos and maybe you go to a dealership or you take a course and you start to do it yourself. And now you're starting to experience that knowledge. You're receiving that knowledge. You've got an instructor, right? You watch some YouTube videos. Now you've got an instructor. We're going to talk about something called knowledge distance in a second. Um, you're starting to bring all this stuff in. and You're starting to play with it. You're starting to work with that knowledge. And now you're starting to gain some understanding. And what happens? Well, on the other side of it, you don't feel like you've really worked. In fact, I know very few animals that don't have a, a sort of reward response from doing work, whether it's the rat getting the cheese in the maze or the human being who solves a problem, right? There is a concept of reward when we do work. Unfortunately, we downplay that a lot these days. And I think when you talk about closed source, closed source represents sort of the, um, the, 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 the least common denominator, right? It's a solution in a box. Go do this. Now, if you have to go do something, you, you're, go, you're going to apply some work, right? Doing is work. So sure, someone says, just use this closed source solution. Okay, fine. You do a little bit of work. Do you have understanding? No, not to the same level as if it's open source. So, what, what do you what do you what do you guys think about that? Is there is is there validity to seeking understanding once we have that knowledge, or is that work proposition the thing that prevents people maybe from em embracing this open source way? I want to bring an element in to clarify something of what Keith is saying, and. I think there's an opportunity cost argument that people make, whether they know it or not. And the opportunity cost is, I've already committed to this social media or that lifestyle or this, and there's, they've got this upkeep. 
on that. And there's so many distractions and there's so many media elements coming in. So the, maybe you don't play video games, but you hear about this new game that you want to play. And so now, oh, I've got to go get a console or go over to my friend's house. It's got a console. Now you're investing your mind in those things. All these videos are available on YouTube. I sometimes I just go on YouTube and, and I've been learning a lot about metal crafting and, and welding and such in the last six months to a year. And uh, I don't have a direct teacher, uh, but I've been learning a lot of these things from the YouTube videos. I'm choosing to do that. Sometimes I stay up late because I can't sleep or I'm not, I'm not able to sleep. So I'm up late watching a video on something and I'm just learning, like, let's put my mind to work. You know, I don't want to waste this time as long as I'm not spending so much energy or thought that I'm actually keeping myself awake. There's that there's that balance there. I don't want to waste the time late at night, but at the same time, I don't want to keep myself up. But I'm choosing to go and study those things. I'm choosing to to acquire the knowledge and then hopefully build my understanding, like you're saying. A lot of people, they feel like um, they could do that. And maybe they're interested in cooking, so they go and take some cooking courses, or they go look up a YouTube video on how to make a bolognese or something. But I think a lot of people just, they stop there. Like, I've achieved the thing that I started to, and I'm good with that. They're okay with, um, like, uh, if they're doing programming at work, they're okay with going into Excel, creating some cells and recording a macro and then making the macro do what they want. They don't really want to know what the language is. They just record the action and then figure out how to make it do it over and over again. And they're fine with that. They're just seeking a solution to a problem they have, and they don't want to go deeper. One of the things I think that defines open source people is that I'm not satisfied with just seeing what the macro does. What happens if I change? What happens if? Those three words, they're the seed of going farther. They're the seed of choosing to seek more knowledge. What happens if you have to have that mindset and those people that have that mindset then naturally kind of drift towards these activities, I think. So quick comment on the manual versus auto thing, and then I'll, then I'll get to my actual feedback is I, I, I prefer manual as well, but I have autos. And I'm just wondering for Keith, you ever have that problem where like you're driving a manual and then for whatever reason you have to jump in an auto and you immediately just grab the, the shifter and you're like, like there's like that half a second where your brain's like, why isn't this moving? Like, am, is that just me or does that happen to other people? Uh, the, no, I have it. I have the worst situation where I, I, you know, I've got my left foot trying to do something and then my right, it's, it's the weirdest thing. My right foot gets confused and I end up stepping on the brake. Ooh. And that's I, I've I've done that twice. And what's funny is that um, I've I've taken uh, so I've been on I've done like track courses before and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And uh, at some point, I'll show you one of these videos. I, I spun out on a track. Shh, don't tell anybody. But there is video. And I had to finish my run in an automatic. And my, my wife and I have the same cars, except that my that she's a she's she's a, you know, she's amazing. She's a sports car chick, you know, hmm. Um but she and she knows how to drive manual. She doesn't like it. But her car is an automatic. When I'm in her car, I, I, I feel weird, even though it's capable of the same things. I just, I'm, I, you know, I, I, I know I need to make that move. And in, in her car, it's eight automatic. You know, it's it's a it's an eight speed automatic. Mine is uh, you know, just a regular six. You know, I got one overdrive gear. You know, she's got two. And everything, I got to get in her car and I'm like, okay, if I need to do something, I got to downshift two gears. Mm-hmm. And then I, I won't even do that sometimes. She's got the things on the steering wheel. It's, it's confusing. I, on some cars, I've done it with the shifter. Um, like if it's like, let, let's say if it's a proper shifter, like say the Audi where they do it, pro- or BMW where they do it properly, where back is plus, forward is minus. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that'll mess me up. Most car companies do it the wrong way, so I don't mess with the shifter. I'll use the paddles or something. But uh, yeah, it's it's very confusing. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to make sure it wasn't just me because, like, this past weekend, I was sh- shifting my cars around, and the Maz- the well, the Ranger that I have is manual. So I move it out of the way. I then hop in the Merc. And I just instantly go to put the foot down on the clutch and reach down to shift. And it, like my brain is going, what, why is, why did my foot not hit something? Oh, right. This is an automatic. I'm an idiot. <laughs> okay. Um, but on the, on the knowledge versus understanding, I think there's another element to that. And that is ability versus willingness. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of run around a circle to come back to the point. And that is, I have tons of friends that will watch a, 15, 20 minute TED talk and then come away from that video and think, well, they know everything about that subject now because they watched in 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and they they received all this information, all this knowledge, but they haven't received any understanding. It's just that knowledge dump that they've gotten. Mm-hmm. And there's no objectivity about it. You know, was was the speaker giving selective information? Were they intentionally leaving something out? Mm-hmm. Were they maybe not aware of other information that counters what they were saying? Um, what aspect are they approaching that issue with? You know, all of that to think about that and consider it takes time and effort to take what's being heard, to investigate it and see, okay, how does this information from this person affect me or affect me? Is there something do I just, do I do agree or disagree? If I agree, okay, well then how can I use that information to change something I'm doing or, or whatever? And if I don't agree, is there still something I can take away from that information? Because obviously now I have an additional piece of information on how others view that subject. And I find that while that is possible, anybody can do that, it seems that a a lot of people are just willing to kind of accept something as either true or false, and then that's it. That's all thought that goes into it. And then depending on that decision is whether or not they're going to, you know, pass that information along to somebody else. So for me, understanding, there's, there's actually two layers to it. So you have the knowledge, and then you have the understanding portion. But... Like what Jeff was saying, you know, closed source doesn't provide understanding. It provides just knowledge of how to accomplish a task. Here it is. You can do that. Open source has the two sides where it offers the opportunity to understanding, but not all take it. I mean, you can take the open source solution, implement it and go Mm -hmm. and not really walk away with any greater understanding. But you've still used an open source tool. Whereas because it's open source, we have the opportunity to dig in and then gain all that understanding from it. Yeah. And that's and that's that's why for me, I started that point right there is exactly why I started thinking about this as a way of life. Right. Because so, you know, human beings are fundamentally. I don't want to say fundamentally lazy, but given the choice not to work, the vast majority of us would not work unless, again, there's that immediate uh, uh, reward that we see on the other side. And let's be honest, that is not always the case, right? So you're right. I I think a lot of people just, you know, go for the um, assemblage sort of thing, right? Where, you know, you, you take what's out there, even though it's open source, and you get the task done. So that you can be done with the work and they don't take advantage of that opportunity. Right. Um, and, you know, you, you, you touched on uh, something that I think also really, really needs to be stressed in that. And I, I find little value in things that cannot be shared. Right. 
So when you, when we, if we continue the concept of, um, for me, what I would call the physics of the situation, right? Just keeping things as close to the real world as, as, as possible. We all know that, um, you know, quote unquote, actions speak louder than words, right? Doing something is more important than saying something. And we, we sort of all touched on it in, in various ways here. And, and I think you're right. There is a, the idea that you just look at something, um, you just receive it and not question it. That, that's a huge problem, right? But I think if you had to put a stick point in it to say, you know, well, JT, where is the problem? Well, the problem is that there's, there's no value in knowledge that's, that is not shared, right? So, you know, and, and when I say that, what I mean is, um, it's so this is actually like a two level thing as well. If I have a piece of knowledge on something, right, and I never share it, that has no value. It's, it's sort of like money, right? You can have all the money in the world, but money has no value unless, unless it's exchanged for something. And I think you could say the same thing uh, with, with knowledge. If somebody, you could be the smartest person in the world, but if you never, ex- if you never even give these ideas to somebody, and let them contemplate it, then that knowledge has, uh, you know, has no value. I mean, it's like, so I'm, I'm rewatching Stargate right now, which is on Netflix, which is great, right? Because straight through is the way to do it, right? Just time shift the viewing for the way. And, you know, this idea that, okay, there's a wormhole, you can create two of them, do this, that, and the third. Okay, you get the knowledge, but that whole show is about them trying to understand things, Right. And I think that, and of course, this, so this is sci-fi, right? Well, that's that's what we do in in the sci-fi, right? That's what makes sci-fi, I think, good sci-fi. That make, that's what makes good sci-fi so compelling because ultimately, it's this you you've got a it's usually a bunch of human beings trying to do something, and we have an antagonist that's trying to prevent them from doing it, right? So in Stargate, you know, there's tons of antagonists there, but you know, a more recent one would be Battlestar Galactica, right? Mm-hmm. Which what you yes. know, which everybody says is like Jeff's not. Everybody says it's perfect. Like you know, Sam Raimi is redoing it, and we know that, and all this other jazz, and it's probably going to be awesome. But you don't need to remake that because it's mm-hmm. it's perfect. Um, you can pick almost every you know sort of popular sci-fi show and dissect it to a certain point and look at those types of things. We're trying to take knowledge and harness it, but there has to be that willingness to question. You have to be willing to be on an island. Because if you don't, right, so level one is not sharing the knowledge, but level two is not questioning, right? Because if, if, if some guy, the loudest mouth in the room is saying, this is how you do things and no one questions because, you know, the, the fear of, you know, being ostracized from the herd, that's just as bad, you know, and, and maybe that's even worse because, um, I, you know, I, I think one of the other moral hazards and one of the main uh, um, a big principle for me in this sort of open source way of doing things is that we do not want to corrupt the natural learning ability of the people receiving knowledge right um i made a point here i'm just going to read it straight out and, and then i'll kick it back to you guys uh it's imperative not to affect the natural process through which someone will gain understanding. What we want in society is as many ideas as possible available so that the best ideas will be merged, but not at the expense of the worst ideas. Best and worst are relative and subjective. 
Therefore, the terms are meaningless when ideas are suppressed. And I wrote that down on purpose because I, I, I spent some time thinking about it. And I think that's another core thing about this, right? Because, and, uh, and JT, I, think, I know you and I have had conversations elsewhere about things like this, right? Um, we've got lots of different ways to think about things in America. And if you want to talk worldwide, it's, you, you're just adding to the pie. I, I, I really do not agree with this idea that we need to exclude ideas. You know, if someone says the sky is green, in the modern world, unfortunately, instead of saying, no, the sky is not green, it's blue, and this is why it's blue, and I'm going to give you all of this knowledge that you can run along and sort of consider for yourself to prove to yourself why the sky is blue. Now, is that maybe a range of things to explain? It is. Of course, there's different ways to explain it, but the sky is not green, right? I mean, we know that. But we don't need to remove that, right? Because if you remove that, then saying the sky is blue is not being challenged. So that's just the loudest guy talking. That's not good. And that's, and that's the, you know, for me, when we talk about being open and receiving knowledge, it's receiving all of the knowledge. And, you know, without getting into a conversation about cancel culture, that's some scary stuff. And I know, you know, I, I know JT, you and I, that's probably, I'm sure if you guys haven't covered that one already, that's another one. This well, it's it's funny. The reason I, I'm I'm smiling is because the interview we just did was, as I mentioned, it was with uh, Dr. Andy Yen. He was a CERN scientist yeah, who started yeah. Proton Technologies, yeah. Proton Mail, Proton VPN. Right. And we did an interview with him on an article that he wrote about deplatforming, and it's like, look, this isn't a political issue. This is right. a knowledge issue. Mm -hmm. Yep. So yeah, I'm I'm right on board with you there. Yeah, I I, I haven't watched that yet, but I saw it. I, I, I'm definitely gonna watch it because I want to see that. I mean, and and I, I know a little bit about him, and not much, but I'm sure he, I, I'm sure he would have been someone that says something like that because again, in the open source community, or when you have an open source way of looking at things. You're not afraid to discuss ideas and challenge ideas and question things, right? There's nothing wrong with a, a majority opinion or a minority opinion because you need at least both, right? You need to have a lot of ideas because if you only have a couple of things and they're not, you know, checked for their veracity, then what you're going to do is go down a path that is very, very hard to fix later. Because then it gets burned to the collective conscious of a society. And we all know that you, you know, look, you get one generation and that's bad enough. But when you start getting two or three generations into something that has not been challenged, you know, dare I say, it, you, you can't correct certain things. You, you, just, you just can't. You, you have to, I, I don't know what you do at that, that point. And, and I think what made me first consider this was... I, I guess, I should, you know, one of the things I didn't talk about is when I started considering this. So when I restarted um, my current tech company, DAO Technologies, the reason why I call it DAO Technologies and not DAO Technologies is because it, it is a play on words. DAO stands for durable, adaptable, and open. And I promise you, I'm not trying to plug my company. It doesn't matter. It's just my wording of things. But I, when, I, when you look at my logos, they're stacked. Durable is at the top, adaptable, and then open. The, the experience, though, because I'm a network guy, is about layers. And what, what I'm really saying there is actually openness leads to adaptability, and adaptability leads to durability. Now, most people can understand that, especially from a technical point of view. But the play on words is DAL, which 
is the English equivalent of TAL, which is pronounced DAO. And we talked about what I said here, DAO of open source, right? And I, and I came to this. So this is circa 2012. I came to this from a profound frustration for what I was doing at the time. I was working for a city, uh, a city contractor at the time here in, in, in Philadelphia. Um, and I've been there a long time. It was, I was coming up on my 15-year anniversary. And for probably four years prior, so now we're going back to 2008, and we all know what happened in 2008, Great Recession, right? Um, well, it was a lot of, lot of soul searching back then, you know, um, not knowing if I had a job was one thing, but not knowing what was going to happen later was the other thing. And, and I like to think a lot, you know, I like to be strategic. So anyway, to make a longer story short, I started really contemplating what my life was about because I've been in open source since the beginning, since the nineties, right? That's really when all this stuff came up, but here we are. Uh, well, like I said, it's almost 15 years in, right? And, and and this particular job wasn't from the beginning of my career, but it was, um, I don't know, maybe my third or fourth job out of out of college, right? So it, it, it had been a while, you know, it's in that 10 plus year time frame. And that's where I came up with all this because the 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 disappointment I had was that so many people were willing just to either look at the closed source stuff and just do it and not think. But even more dangerously, I I was seeing even back then this increasing march towards not talking about ideas, even when they were in the minority. Because, you know, we all know. um, So I'm a fan of Nikola Tesla, huge fan of Nikola Tesla. For no other reason than the man has been proven right on so many things at this point. We're starting to use all of his, all, all of his stuff. I mean, his, you know, all, all, I, you know, patents are life plus 70, I think, or maybe at the time life plus a hundred, but now we're seeing all these things, even a company called Nikola, right? Because, you know, we know the other guy created Tesla, right? So someone's got to do Nikola, right? Um, it, it, it sort of goes to show you that just because an idea is in the minority doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Right. Because we go back 50 years. No one was talking about uh, Nikola Tesla. No one was talking about his ideas. You know, it's it's profoundly a 21st century sort of thing with everything we're doing. I've got my phone on a wireless charging pad now. Hmm. I want Edison. <laughs> you know, that sort of thinking wasn't wasn't him. So, you know, I, I this idea of throwing out things. I don't think it's valid. You you keep that collective knowledge set and you constantly challenge things. Uh, because again, the value is in that flow of information. It's not just in this static, this static state. So I want to, I've been rambling. I want to leave it there. Um, but that that's, that's, that's huge. I, I don't think we can drive that point home enough. So some of the things that I was thinking about as you were going on these excellent points, a point you touched on maybe about five or six minutes ago, you were talking near a topic uh, JT and I have considered, walled gardens. We didn't go into a lot of depth, but it's a conclusion that I've seen on people seem okay with living inside these walled gardens. They're okay with Google saying, I'm going to build you a phone experience, or, or more likely Apple. I'm going to build you a phone experience. I'm going to carefully control the things that you can run. It's for your safety. We're going to keep your data secure. Look at all these nice things you're getting. But they're never allowed outside the walled garden. I grew up in an era 
you know, I started playing around at 802.86. You guys have similar backgrounds. You've been playing around with computers for a long time. The walled gardens were, what was our ability to create? What was our ability to create uh, processors and what did they do? We didn't have the walled gardens like that yet. So there was closed source at the time, but I'd say a lot of the things that I was playing around with growing up, it was purely down to, was I interested enough to learn how they work? And I went to the library, my local library, and I literally read every book they had on the computer shelf by the time I, by the time I was 12 or 13. Now, it wasn't a very big shelf, but some of them were kind of esoteric stuff. One of them was about Fortran. Who really needs to be reading about Fortran when you're 12 years old? Well, I did, because that's the, I was like, I'm going to read every book on here, because that's all we've got. And I did. I don't think most people care about a lot of that stuff in the background, but it's important for them to know that there is a space behind the walled garden. and open source, we don't really allow gardened walls at all. Maybe the wall's there, but we're like, hey, there's a wall there, but you can easily walk around it, look on the other side if you want. And that's important. That's key to open source. We're never letting you, in fact, we're encouraging you to go, please go check on the other side. Whereas a lot of other solutions and, and corporations are building these very fancy gardens, but they want to make sure that everybody stays inside where they get the most money. If the second someone goes outside, the second someone starts looking at how the sausage is made, their revenue goes down, and that's all they care about. And so they want people to be trapped in this uh, closed source kind of mentality. And so that's why it's so key that open source is opening it up for everybody to say, look, behind the wall is all this other stuff. Go ahead, check it out. Heck, if you can make it better, please do. And then share with me what you've done, because I want to do it too. And that's, I think, so crucial. Yeah, the challenge issue is, I think, kind of, for me, one of the core points, because, you know, Keith, when you were talking about um, challenging ideas and when Jeff brings up the walled gardens, I mean, for me, walled gardens, one of the reasons I hate them is because then I can't challenge the system. Mm -hmm. I can't challenge kind of the status quo. Right. The, the right. gatekeepers have set up this. This is where you're allowed to play. And mm -hmm. I'm like, no, I want to go play over there. Mm -hmm. And you put a wall in my way and I don't like that. And so for me, the challenge of ideas kind of falls into the same thing of someone else deciding, well, no, 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 you can't, you can't talk about that. You, mm -hmm. you can't think about that. This is a, this is a topic that you're not allowed to discuss. For me, if I'm doing something, let's say, let's say I'm doing something that's just stupid. I'm doing something a, a dumb way and there's a better way. Like I want someone to come up to me and be like, Hey, you're doing this all wrong, man. There's a better way to do it here. Do it this way. It's more efficient. You'll mm -hmm. get better productivity or, or whatever. Because then I walk away from that exchange able to do things better. Mm -hmm. I've improved myself over that that exchange of be learning that I'm wrong. Well, and it's challenging your thinking though. But I'm sorry, go ahead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would hope that all others would want that as well. And it's not like if I offer something of, hey, a suggestion, it's not an attack on your person or mm -hmm. your ideals or any of that. It's just have you considered that maybe there's a, a better way to do something? But it seems that in our society overall, there is, I don't want to say necessarily an unwillingness. I, it almost comes down to like being afraid to actually be challenged like that. Mm -hmm. um, like I don't mind being wrong because I see it as an opportunity for growth. Mm -hmm. But the key point to that is I have to be able to admit that I was wrong. And I wonder if that's kind of the root of the problem is that generally as a society, we have a fear of ever being seen or found out as being wrong about something. Mm -hmm. And if, if that is a problem, then, you know, how can we as a community foster kind of that concept that it's okay to be wrong and that, you know, seek out where you're wrong because you're going to come away from that as a better person. And I think open source kind of allows that 
because, well, the code is open. If I write a class and I'm doing something stupid, you know, somebody can see that and go, hey, here's a way to do this, and you're going to gain 25% efficiency every time this class runs. And if I'm running that class 10 times a second during a certain process, well, there's a lot of benefit that I can gain then because someone was able to then put in information of here's a better way to do it. Yeah, you know, you 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 hit on something that is um I I think one of the things that, you know, uh, there's there's you know, from a social point of view there's a lot of, you know, you talk about the American military, there there's a lot to unpack there, but one of the things that our military does that most people that they don't get credit for 100% don't get credit for this is whereas most people train to get something right our military trains so that they won't get something wrong right let me say it again most people train to get something right our military trains to not get something wrong okay and it's not to say they always get there right mistakes happen we're human but it's your mindset that's the important thing. And I, I think your point, JT, is, is, is spot on. When did we start being afraid of being wrong? Th- this has irked me forever in my life. Um, mm-hmm. Partially because, you know, we all had parents. And at a certain point, our parents were gods. And then at another point, we realized, no, there is full of you know what <laughs> anybody else and you start realizing like I, like when i was you know quick cyborg I, I was doing a um a uh what was it, it was like a summer program when i was at drexel for uh incoming freshmen and i was telling them i said you know now of course these are 18 year olds right but i was telling them i said you know your path from sort of like 18 to 28 you know maybe 30 is to get your life together your your parents are grown, they're living their their lives, right? You're you're the one that has to grow. And I tell them, I said, you know you're an adult when you can look your parents in the face and say no. Not be emotional about it, not feel like, oh my God, I said no to my mom or my dad, you know. No. You told them no. And if and and not that, you know, because when you're a kid, you have to explain things like that, but it was a solid no. And in your mind, you're thinking, mom or dad could ask their next 10 questions, and I've got answer to those, and then probably the 10 that they didn't think about, right? Because you're coming into your own. And part of that willingness to sort of claim your adulthood, right, is that at that moment, you're willing to be wrong because it's not about being wrong. It's about your life and what you want to do based on your own thinking. Right. Because, JT, I think it's it's I think that being afraid is more about being wrong. than simply being afraid to, like, as I put it, be out on the island, I I think it actually is more about. You're afraid of being wrong because then you're on the island. Right. Because you can be afraid to be right, too. I know. Look, I'm a business owner. And I know a lot of people that have great ideas and never start businesses because they're afraid to be right. They're afraid to be a company that's doing great. And now they have to make all these decisions and be responsible and be in this world they were never in. And I, and I tell people all the time when I'm talking to new business owners or, or, or I say newer 
business owners that the it's easy to start a business. That's not the thing. That's not the thing. The hardest thing to do as a business is grow a business. That's the hardest thing, right? Growth and understanding how to manage growth is where you get the weed out process in that three to five year time frame, right? I tell people, if you get past five years, get past seven years, you're, you're probably going to be okay. You're not, not that you're living your best life, right? It's just that you understand what's going on and you will be okay because you've embraced this lifestyle, right? But again, even those people, you look at, again, because we're talking about the open source way everywhere. If you look at business owners, yeah, so 30% of them, like they say, are, are sociopaths, right? <laughs> so I don't know. That's almost one in three. So one of us is borderline on this. <laughs> one of us is borderline right here. Probably. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, you have to be willing to be wrong and, and just own it. And, you know, I, I, I'll get challenged. My rule is, you know, I got two other guys now that are, I brought in at sort of that executive level and I told them, they're like, well, Keith, how do you want us to do things? I'm like, guys, honestly, I don't have the bandwidth. I'm going to do this. You guys do this. You guys tell me what, what the thing is. Don't worry about how I do things. I trust you guys to, 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 to figure it out. Okay. This is not about how I want to do things because if I had the solution, I would have maybe done it already, you know, maybe, and maybe not. Like I said, it's a bandwidth thing and you got to, you got to sleep. Jeff, your point, I'm the same way. I do not sleep very well. I haven't since I actually started this company, a lot of stresses trying to figure things out. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm just at a point now where, I mean, I'm up. If I go to sleep at two, I might be up at four thirty-five o'clock. Freaking weird. Um, I, it, but you try to balance it out. You try to figure it out, but I try to keep my mind busy with this. Um, always be learning. A L, you know, A A A B L. I was told that once upon a time. Um, I, 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 the fear. There's a lot of things in society that we as individuals fear now, and and you know, as an American, I'm, I'm, I tend to be, I tend to talk more about American society. But I, I don't think that can be understated. This, this obsession with not being wrong or saying you're wrong, it's, it's insane. You know, that you, we can, you know, we see government officials doing the craziest stuff and just won't just stand up there and say, I got it wrong. You have all the credibility in the world when you say you get it wrong, because that's a human thing. No one is always right. And yet I think we all know that we could point to somebody that we've either worked for or had to deal with as a business owner, maybe that refused to say they were wrong because they thought that was like the ultimate sin. I, I think it's, I, I think it's, I don't, that's another one. I, I don't know how to solve. I think to that, you got to add also people are, un- are afraid to say, I don't know. So it's not just being wrong, just be able to admit that they don't have the knowledge or the understanding. And that's another key that we have to have in the open source movie that we do. I, I, there's still some of the seed of that. People don't want to admit that they don't know. And there's also quite a lot of imposter syndrome in our business too. Uh, you know, I think we probably all have experienced that to some degree. Even the most successful people in our business have experienced that to some degree. Because especially in, in our niche, there's not like a the university you can go to. I didn't go to university to learn Linux. I just dove in and started learning it. I didn't go to university to learn how to put systems together. It just started happening, just started figuring it out. And so 
someone else could have a completely different way of doing it. And suddenly I'm confronted with the fact that, oh, they're doing things and it's really cool what they're doing and it's better than the product I'm making. I have a choice between hiding from that or embracing that. I choose to embrace it because I want my ideas to be better. And I was like, hey, let's swap. Because there's probably going to be some things that I've come up with that you haven't thought of. Coming from an independent source to learn about these things is doesn't happen if we're all just afraid to say, I don't know, or all afraid to say, I, you know, I'm going to dance around the issue and never actually deliver you anything because I don't want to be seen as wrong. So I, I put both of those in the same basket. They're Technically, they're different things, but I, I'd say they're symptoms of the same condition. Is that a human thing? Because I, I agree with you. I think it's a symptom. I think it's a symptom of the same condition. But is that condition, is that more of a human thing? Or is that a, or is that a society thing? And again, you know, we're, we're Americans. So, you know, is, is, do we see that? Like, so for instance, are, you know, if you go over to Europe, are they more willing to admit they're wrong? If you go to parts of Asia, are they more willing? Canada? I mean, what is, you know, which, hmm. which is, I, I, cause I, I, I don't know, uh, really. I, I'm, I'm not really sure. I, I, my gut is telling me it's, in America, it might be more of an American thing because then we look outward because we have this ego that we, you know, what do they like to say, right? We are the one indispensable nation on planet Earth. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, I, you know, those, those drugs are good. You should probably open source <laughs> that and share it. Um, you know, I, but I, I don't think it's, I don't know if it's a human, I don't know if it's a human thing because most animals are learning. Otherwise, you don't mm -hmm. catch the the prey and eat. You you die, right? If you mm -hmm. if you don't learn how to how to do better. So I I don't know. I think it's a social thing. What do you what do you a uh, society thing? What do you, what do you guys think? So I think there's a part of it that is just innate human nature because you know if you're if you look back in history and you are a part of a, a small tribe or a small village or whatever, uh, if you weren't useful, you were a drain on resources. So that was kind of a self-preservation of, no, 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 I need to be able to show that I, 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 I'm, they need to keep me around or they're not going to keep me around. So I think in some cases, it, or at some point, it's a, just a human condition. However, I think that we as Americans have taken our, uh, our American exceptionalism and amped that up about a thousand times right. to the degree <laughs> that, it is, that it is now. And when, when you were talking about the business, the business aspect just a moment ago, I was thinking back to some things we talked about before about the difference between kind of the closed source and the open source. And for me, I kind of always felt that this, it changes the way a business works. And let me, let me kind of explain real quick. And that is in a closed sourced ecosystem, there is one solution to the problem and this is how you do it. And it it's, there aren't various options. Like on the open source side, we have multiple solutions for every problem. Like for any single problem you run into, there's at least 14 and a half ways to deal with it. Right. Um, whereas on the closed source side, you know, if, if you're dealing with, with Microsoft, for instance, there's, there's the Microsoft way that they say you solve this. And I have noticed in businesses that are heavily into closed source, using closed source software, that that kind of leads to micromanagement because it's all about the process. This is the process. Not so much the results. The results are important, but they're less important than following the process as it's been dictated, as, as it's supposed to happen. Yeah. Whereas on the open source side, 
there seems to be more of an emphasis on the results. Like, here's a way we can do this. Here's another way we can do this. But if you can bring to the table a third idea that yields better results than the two that are chosen, there's more of a willingness to consider that idea as, okay, well, yeah, let's, let's try that. Whereas you're not going to get that at all from the closed source side because, well, there isn't that option. It's just this is the way Microsoft has deemed we have to handle this, or this is the way Oracle has told us we have to handle this. That's, yeah, that's, um, it's funny you worded that way, because I, I usually use the argument of process versus product. So I think, but I see what, you're, I see what your point is, because if you're going to run a mail server and you're in a Microsoft environment, well, that's Exchange. This is how you run Exchange, and they mm -hmm. give you the thing, right? So that's sort of the process, but you're right, in open source, um, for me, especially being, you know, classically trained engineer, it's sort of like, well, yeah, we, like you said, we've got 14 and a half ways to solve things. And these five are well understood. You know, this next set is sort of understood. And then we've got the, you know, the, the couple of fringe cases. But then, oh, by the way, there's somebody right now that's working on, you know, case number 15, 16 and 17. And in the open source world, we're like, yeah, let's see that. Right. Because, you know. I know I'm the type of person that's like, I hate everything, right? I don't like, you know, there's, Keith, there's 2,000 ways to do this. Yeah, I know. I'm looking for 2001 now. And I, I don't mean the movie. I mean, yeah, give me yeah, the other thing. You know, I'm I'm that guy. I'm like, I don't like any of these things, you know? So yeah, I agree. I, I think it's, um, it's rigid. And I think when you expand it, I, I find that same rigidness. I, I, you know, I think we've all heard the phrase, you know, um, humans hate change. And I didn't think that was, I didn't, I didn't, I don't, you know, you tell that and you, you maybe, again, it's a piece of knowledge, right? So my job is to now understand it. I don't know if I really understood that until more recent years. I, I find that, you know, let's take COVID, right? <laughs> Lots to talk about there. Um, <laughs> if to keep it light, this thing hit, it's a pandemic. Someone says wear a mask. Someone says don't wear a mask. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I think this is a perfect example of knowledge not being challenged. Right. Cause there's, there's, there's a lot of ways to, to slice this, but let's, but those were the two options, right? You wear a mask, you don't wear a mask. Okay. And you have the problem of someone saying, don't wear a mask. And then three weeks later, them saying, wear a mask. Wear a mask. And it's right, like, right, hold right. on a second. <laughs> Which is it? Like, right. I'm willing to listen to you, but right. you've just said opposites here. Which I, one do I trust? I, Were you lying to me before or are you lying right, to me right, now? Yeah, right. And that's what I was getting to because now if you were the, so if we were, if we were of the standpoint as a society where we were embracing this open source way of thinking, someone would say, it, it wouldn't matter, right? You got a guy that says, don't wear a mask, don't hoard the N95s, don't hoard toilet paper, <laughs> don't, don't hoard ammo, don't do any of that stuff. It'll be fine. It's all fine. You know, it's like Star Wars. It's like, we're good. Everything's fine. It's all fine. How are you? You know, it'd be one of those things, right? That's not what happened. It changed. It did this. It did that. But what did people get upset about? They got upset about the change because people don't like change. Because like you said, JT, people are willing to listen. Because most people are followers and they will follow the advice of people that they think are smarter than them. Now, mm -hmm. I don't, again, I don't, I don't think that way. I don't, I don't care if someone's smarter than me. I don't, I don't, you know, and, and what does that even mean? Right? Like, what is that? 
What does that really mean? We say, oh, this person's smart. They have this IQ. So what? What does that what does that mean? Everybody's got their own ownership of knowledge because that comes to you. It's a very personal thing. And mm-hmm. the way you understand something, like you said, Jeff, is completely different the way someone else will understand something. Mm-hmm. So I don't I, I think we're obsessed with that piece of it and not willing to say, you know what? Someone says wear a mask, someone says not wear a mask. So what should you do? Research up which what we should have done as individuals is research other pandemics, research the effect of, well, I don't know. If I buy 195s, do I personally need them? Am I buying them or hoard them? Am I one of those guys that sees an economic opportunity? I'm going to sell these things for 10 times the cost, right? And I'm not judging. I'm just saying that, you know, this is a thought process, right? Who are you? You got to be the person that's always thinking and challenging because then if you had done that, JT, I think to your point, I know with me, I immediately, I've, I've got a beautiful collection of Kafis now. I've got 12 of these things. I keep ordering them because they keep coming up with new designs. And yeah, I'm also supporting the last working loom in Palestine. Okay, that makes me, that's like, so I get a feel-good story out of it too. But these guys actually make really good stuff. So I just started immediately doing it. So that's how I solved it. I'm not going to buy the N95s because I'm not on the front lines like that. So I took that 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 approach. I just put my my glasses on on top of that, get a little eye pro going. I'm like, okay, problem solved. We're it's fine, and that change was not a big deal. So there's the fear of being wrong is there, but I think that fear of change. I think is also looming out there. I don't know. I don't think we can get around that either because, you know, I know one of the things that disappointed me most about what happened in this last year, you know, in the context of a, a sort of an open source way of thinking is that people were not willing to think for themselves. Mm-hmm. It became this political polarizing nonsense on both sides. Mm-hmm. It's like you said, do this, do this, do this. No, 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 no. That thing, don't do that. Do this other thing now, and then and mm-hmm. then you don't can't you can't be mad at people for going. Well, now wait a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you can't be mad about that. Had you been honest and said, you know what, we're not sure. If you want to protect yourself, you think you're at risk. You know you you people know who, what immunocompromised means. That's not like a foreign thing to consider. Um, sure, yeah. Companies were bad actors. In this case, we're talking of government being a bad actor, but companies were bad actors too in this. You know, so to me, that was sort of a close, that was almost that same sort of experience where we had this closed source thinking that came in this case uh, from the government, but you went from government to the opposite things. All the people who had this motivation to say, no, we don't want to do this because you get a, what is it called? Um, um, confirmation bias, right? Mm-hmm. I don't believe we should be doing this. So now I'm going to get confirmation bias. And all that does, um, I think, JT, you mentioned that um, it's an extension of the scientific method. Right. And I agree with that. I I think open source and an open source approach to doing things is an extension of that scientific method, because we have to work again. If we're not sharing knowledge so that we can get on the same grid. You end up going the other way to word what that point is to say, now we're dealing with belief and everything. Well, you can't have a society based 100 percent on belief because then nobody has a duty to say they're wrong and say that, you know what? The sky is actually not green. It actually is blue. Maybe I'm colorblind. Maybe there's something else going on, but it ain't green, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I that's that's this this. um 
a fear of change, which is, I guess, very human. I mean, I guess maybe it is. I think you, you're right. Maybe it's a little bit of both because mm. I don't think you can. I don't think you can separate them. I, I think there's a lot of human factors. Maybe um, we're being afflicted with, but I don't know when it started because this is not how I grew up either, Jeff. I agree. I Radio Shack, Crystal Radio. What's that? I don't know. Let's build it and see what happens. Maybe mm. I'll blow something up, create some smoke. My brother will think I'm cool. So I have an idea about maybe a contributor to this, and I don't want to conclude this, but when I try and trace some lineage, I think the democratization of information on the internet has accelerated this. Can't be wrong. Because now when you are wrong, you're wrong very publicly. And anyone across the entire world can go and criticize you for it. And if you are feeling small because someone criticized you, imagine now 400 people criticize you because you posted your idea. You had the temerity to post your idea on Twitter and you were wrong. How dare you? And there just seems to be this like piling on. And I think that's not a source, but I think it is an accelerant. Yeah. And it's not just, let me unmute myself to add on to what Jeff was saying. It's not just that you were wrong. You were wrong forever because mm -hmm. there's no ephemeral nature to what you just posted online Yep, because it's there forever. And like, that's a whole nother issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the um, the internet never it's the the ultimate elephant, right? It never mm -hmm. forgets. And I know we talked about AI, JT. You know, when when uh, I think I mean it's been some recent movies like this. The idea that you can remember everything with perfect recall is such a horrible idea. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when we look at the yeah. internet and we see what's going on, that I mean, look. These days, I, I'm, I'm very independent when it comes, you know, comes to politics. So I, I tend to feel free to say saying things. But once upon a time, I wasn't. And once upon a time, you know, little, you know, Bush Jr., Bush 43. Man, that guy was just horrible to me, right? You know, just because I was on the left. That was this was before I fixed things, right? You know, for myself, my own thinking. Again, constant, constant evolution, constant challenging. Mm -hmm. You know, you just got to grow. Um. You get some you get some distance between things. So I, I, I wanted to talk about something called what I, what I call knowledge uh, distance, and and what I find is if to define it very very quickly, it's a relative concept. If I have knowledge, the distance is zero, right? I have it, you know, um, you know. Really, it's more about understanding at that point. You have an understanding. You're sharing knowledge, but you have an understanding, right? So the distance is zero. As you share things, that distance increases. And if you share through people, the distance also increases. Um, and you're also adding noise because most people are careful enough to not filter and embellish or color the information. And I think one of the things we are exceptionally good at, relatively speaking, when we talk about an open source community or open source thinking, is that we like giving credit to people, right? If JT, you tell me something, and then I'm talking to Jeff, and I'm like, you know what? JT was saying this, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to start it that way. I'm not going to say, yeah, I learned this. I'm going to say, no, no, no. JT gave me this idea. He said this. I thought this. Then I did this other thing, right? And the distance we're sensitive to, because I want to give JT credit for the knowledge he gave me. Because again, the understanding is a very personal thing and it really doesn't enter into the conversation, right? Because I should be able to reiterate at least what someone tells me, you know, even if it's verbatim. And, then we, and we know we're human. We know we're going to get not get that right. But I find that people 
bring that knowledge in and they immediately embellish. It's sort of like what you're saying. You know, you watch a TED talk and then all of a sudden you think you understand it. And then you go, go off and say, well, this is this. Instead of saying, hey, I saw a TED talk by this person. You should go watch that. This is how I'm thinking about his knowledge. And this is, I think, the understanding I'm receiving from it. This is what I'm gaining from this. This is how I'm understanding it. Because that that's that's perfect at that point, because you're telling me the source, which means my distance from that source or from the knowledge is very short. The shortest distance orients you to the best possibility to have understanding. So to wrap up my sort of silly political thing where I was getting at, you know. People were saying lots of different things because we were, you know, the 9-11 happened and, and all these things were going on and, and people were blaming, you know, the current administration. And I said, well, that's all well and good. And I piled on like a lot of people because, like you said, you know, Twitter is a thing and that's what we do these days. But now in 2021, looking back at 2000 to 2008, what's happening is that it's fixed in time in such a way that whoever participated in that is not allowed to evolve, right? So, of course, you have some people say, you know what? Certain things we shouldn't have done. Shouldn't have invaded Iraq, shouldn't have invaded Afghanistan, shouldn't have done the Patriot, things like that, right? Now, again, it's not about agreeing or disagreeing. It's about the fact that you are challenging and that you are willing to have that conversation to have a better understanding of it. But the internet, does not allow you to do that because what does someone do? They dig up the quote of something you said or did for that matter, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it's 2021 now. I forget when Twitter started, but I got, I know we're plus 10 and we might be plus 15. So we go another 10 years, literally someone's going to look you up on the internet and say, you know, Keith, you said blah, 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 blah in, you know, 2005. <laughs> so you're a jerk or you're this or you're that or you're you're in that tribe or this tribe and that's ridiculous because you know it, it's like you, you know be, the other example is uh you know bill clinton said he once tried you know tried weed and the internet you know or whatever was going on at the time people went crazy because he tried weed now of course at that point that was horrible but in 2021 it's not so horrible so again minority opinions matter right? You don't just throw everything out. But I do find it's disturbing that in any moment, we are judging people for things like that in light of the fact that we know it may change. Mm. We, you know, the, the, uh, the opioid epidemic, right? We never thought after 2008, and this will be my last point, we never thought after 2008 we should indict companies for bad actions. But after the opioid epidemic, no, Purdue had to go, right? Mm-hmm. It was a Slatchker family. They got to go. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh, we're not doing that. So I, I think thinking evolves and we have to be willing to, and maybe it's not that you say you're wrong because people are in their feelings and, and sensitive to that across the general population, right? Maybe we don't say you're wrong. Maybe we say you evolve on the matter. I, I know when I'm talking to other people, I will normally say something like, I've evolved on this matter. because. Not because I care about being wrong, because I don't. <laughs> you know, it doesn't bother me. But I know with other people to to sort of bring them along, 
Sometimes easier to, you know, people, again, most people are followers. So if I say I evolved in a manner, the followers will use the same language. And that's okay, right? That's okay. Um, and I don't think that's skirting it or, or sugarcoating it. I think that's actually the truth. Evolving on a matter means that you are, you are right and now you're wrong, or you're wrong and now you're right. Just like, you know, there's t- certain times we'll be open about things, and at certain times we'll actually be closed about things, right? You know? So. so two things pop into mind right away. One is that, and this is something that I've I've always felt, and obviously this was some piece of information that was given to me when I was young that I internalized, which I'm thankful for. And that is, you know, if you judge someone else or the past or what they're doing in the present and you, you're really critical and really harsh of them, you have to understand that, that that's going to come down on you. If you establish kind of a societal thing of harsh judgment for ideas that are not vogue, well, then when society evolves, as you say, what you said was not going to be in vogue. And now you're going to have to deal with the very same thing. Um, the second thing is when you were talking about how understanding is personal and, you know, the, the knowledge distance. The other thing that pops into mind is that because of the way open source specifically works and also I think the way that. Um, as we're talking about this as a philosophy of life, it works, is that sharing actually is, it's a personal gain to me. And let me give you an example. Like, let's say I have an idea and, uh, you know, Keith, I, I then have some understanding about a topic and I talk to you about it. I have now transferred knowledge to you. My understanding is personal, but I can explain that to you. You then walk away from that conversation with knowledge of a topic and my understanding of it that I've expressed. You then get to think about that, you know, let it roll around in your head a while, gather your own ideas. And then you can come back to me the next day and be like, hey, so you remember when we were talking about this? Well, I had another thought and here it is. So now because I've given information to you and you've processed it, I'm now getting information back from you that I didn't have previously. So I've actually gained by giving. And if you then say, take that same knowledge and you go talk to a friend of yours that you know, and you have a conversation with him about it, and then you come back and talk to me, now I'm getting not only your thoughts on the issue, I'm getting your friend's thoughts on the issue. So now I've given away, say, one unit of information. I've now gotten back two. Like, I'm, this is great. I'm getting more information now to consider and think and broaden my understanding on a topic. Right. And that's sort of what even Jeff was saying, where you have, you have all this stuff out there, right? And if you just listen. And I, I think that even gets into, which is sort of the last, actually the last point I wrote down is, um, so I, I'm, I'm, I, am, I am embrace certain DAOs and principles. And, and, and one of them is the concept of uh, Wei Wu Wei, which uh, loosely translates to action without action. And when you embrace this sort of open source way of doing things, and if, if so for me, this is sort of the solution, right? This, w- this is how it would, I would explain to somebody, this is how you can start doing this, right? You know, someone might say, you know, I like what you're saying, but, you know, it's not my personality or that sounds like a lot of work. This is what I would tell them. Um, concept of action without action. Um, you want to do things that, as human beings, don't feel like work. Work is action, right? Mm-hmm. We want to be able to take actions 
that don't feel like actions. When you do, JT, what you just said, which is you and I have a conversation, I receive something from you. You get some feedback. Then I go talk to somebody else. Then I go talk to you. You go talk to someone else. You talk to me. What you're doing is multiplying all this information, multiplying the discussion. Human beings are naturally social. We like talking to each other, ultimately. Even if we're arguing, honestly, if we're arguing, we like talking to each other, right? Mm -hmm. Most people would say they like arguing. You know, most people would say they like arguing more than having a serious conversation, right? If you've ever been in a relationship, like, oh my God, you know, the, the wife or the girlfriend wants to have a serious conversation. You'd rather be arguing with anybody at that point, right? Because that's how most people are. They don't want to have things that are emotional, right? You know, it's another human thing. But we like talking, we like interacting. So, I, you know, again, to relate it back to the physical world, I try to do things that are pleasing to the human being. So this concept of, of Wei Wu Wei resonated with me because it's, it's sort of an over, it's sort of a principle that's even above the, 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 the Jeet Kune Do thing of, you know, Bruce Lee saying, be like water. It's sort of that next level, right? Because be like water is, be, being like water is being flexible, okay? Which most people realize that Look, not everything's going to go my way. I got to do some things like, you know, I got to what I get in is when I'm going to get out. I mean, we can talk about all you, you know, all the phrasings for those things like that. We know that. But this idea of action without action. That's that's the thing, right? To embrace this open source way of doing things and to and to start to do this in your life. What people have to do is live these things we were talking about. Every day, if you were doing something, you know, like Jeff said, something as silly as I shaved my head, I felt a breeze, I don't feel a breeze here. Why is my electric bill so high? Okay, I can use my head to solve that. Completely weird if you tell anybody, right? What the entire, what are you talking about, Jeff? <laughs> but if you stop and think about it, you're like, the guy's solving a problem in a different way. So now maybe some young hotshot receives that information, goes, you know what? Maybe I can invent a thing that goes on somebody's head, has a feedback sensor on their ear. And I, I don't know. I'm making throwing stuff out there, right? It, it, it sort of it creates its own feedback loop. But it's natural. We're just we're just talking. Like I I I remember um oh geez, I forget. I, there was somebody, I can't remember who this was in my life, but it was somebody who I remember being upset. I was a kid. That much I know. And I remember, like most kids, being upset about um, I was trying to communicate something. It wasn't going well. And I was frustrated. And I remember this person saying, chill out. We're just talking. <laughs> just take it easy. Just, you know, it's not the end of the world. We're just talking. And I, I think more often than not, when I'm when I'm when I try to explain how I approach things and, and and talk about this open source way of doing things, I try to let people know you know everything we're talking about. It's okay to be wrong. You you know lifelong learning. You know uh, you receive knowledge. Go get the understanding. All of that. That's you know talk about all of that. But at the end of the day, to start the process, let's tell them. I said, look, you. This has to become second nature for you. For me, it's it, the, the story is it's like driving a manual. I don't think about shifting or touching the clutch. I think about the car has to change a lane. 
What speed do I need to be at? Okay, I think about tasks. I think about getting the job done. To your point, JT, we, we talk about solving problems. And I'm an engineer. Engineers solve problems. So we do. You know, we, 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 we just figure it out in uh, often very clever or novel ways, right? But we just sol- we're just solving problems. That's really all you can ask a human being to do throughout their existence is to solve a problem. And when you extrapolate that, you're not necessarily solving a problem for yourself. You're solving it for society, right? Because if I solve it for me, you know, I, I might have solved it for somebody else. You know, and in the open source community in terms of technology, that's what we do. Someone comes up with a module for, for, for something and we all use it, right? Well, this person solved their problem, but they're sharing that with us. And that's what gives it value because they shared it, right? Mm-hmm. So now if you just extrapolate back, it's the same thing. If, if, if I sit down and show someone how to drive a manual and show the way I approach it and show my thinking, right, and have that conversation and let them challenge me and say, you know what, why did you skip that gear? Why didn't you rev match on that one? And be willing to go, you know what, I messed <laughs> Yeah, I got that shift wrong. Just own it. I, I, got, I, mm-hmm. I missed it. <laughs> you know, if, if we're willing to do that, it becomes second nature. And that's what I try to tell people. The, the sort of key to this is embracing it and making it part of your everyday life and making it part of your everyday existence and approach to things. You do it, commit to it, and then it becomes second nature. And once that happens, for me, it was, it was sort of life-changing. It's, you know, I... I the, the way I think about things and the way I talk to other people, I, I'm more relaxed now. I don't have my backup about things so much because the things that matter to me, I, I understand in this framework of open source. There's, you know, I just, I don't get it, you know, it's not to say I won't be human. Plenty of times I'll feel challenged and get my backup about things. And yeah, I do like to argue. <laughs> yeah. I'm a New Yorker. Of course, how could I not like to argue, right? Um, but I think ultimately that's the solution is letting people know, you know, it's okay to do this, right? Mm-hmm. It's okay to chase knowledge. You know, it's, it, it's, you know, don't do the better or worse. I mean, we, we think open source is better. And I think there's even some, some, you know, objective proof to that, but you got to sort of meet people where they are and you got to, so you meet them where they are and then say, you know what? I see what you're doing. But have you thought about this, you know? And, and just sort of pose it that way. People like to pretend they close their ears. Like, ah, you know, like you're the kid, like, ah, da, 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 not listening, not listening. And of course, as soon as you do that, it's a wrap. <laughs> you know, as soon as you do that, it's it. You know, you, you, you're, you, you've lost that battle. But I think when you pose questions, questions are compelling. Mm-hmm. Answers aren't compelling. You know what I mean? Someone tells you two plus two is four. You go, okay. Someone says, you know, I think two plus two might be three. You go, what? No, it doesn't. Why? Forever. Yeah. See what happens. And I think that's, you, you get it going that way. And I, but I, I think it's that sort of thing. We got to let, we got to let people know that. So it's okay to, 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 to do this and to question and to, mm-hmm. and to, and to, to get deep on things. People don't like to get deep anymore on something. You know, my family reunions are a bunch of people sitting around from ages 90 down to 10 talking about nothing. Mm -hmm. 
We could be talking about marshmallows, okay? Or who made the better pie last Thanksgiving? It's just nothing. And it's, but it's instructive to the younger folks, but really to everybody, but in particular younger folks, but really to everybody to, to just have this information going. It's just information going back and forth. And, you know, some of it's noise, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's, it's, a, it's a way of living that, is, that engages you more with your surroundings. And, and I think ultimately, open source people are more engaged with their surroundings, with reality, and, and really with understanding things in, you know, with more breadth and more depth than, than other places. And I, I think that's great. I mean, it's, it's yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I just, I just think it's, um, I just think it's a better way. I honestly think it's a better way to live. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I'm stress will kill you and I am relatively speaking less stressed. So like, why not? <laughs> Well, I think it's kind of like uh, muscles, these ideas, these challenging, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, maybe if you're not used to doing it, you're uh, used to just accepting what you're told, but you start, you're suggesting someone, you suggest to someone else, hey, why don't you actually think this through? What, when I look at this thing that was told to you, I see some problems with it. Did you see the same problems? And you kind of have this back and forth with them and they see, oh, well, maybe I should have thought about that. Maybe I should have questioned that a bit more. And it's probably uncomfortable at first. It's like a muscle. I haven't done sit-ups in I don't know how long, so my abs are probably going to hurt the first time I do a bunch of sit-ups. Probably only be able to do a few. But if I keep doing them, eventually my muscles will firm up. And much the same way, this, this challenging uh, of the ideas you're receiving and the, the deeper investigations of knowledge, the seeking of knowledge, all those things which they are tiring, but they're also rewarding, they get easier through practice. And I think uh, one of the things I see the most in open source is people have been doing it for so long, it almost comes naturally to them. And that's the end goal. Well, I don't even know if it's a goal, but that's, that's when, I, when I try and capture one of the essences of open source. That's what I see. Someone who's been doing it for so long and has invested deeply in this, this desire to uh, combat of ideas, like as a term I think uh, JT and I were using last week. Put two ideas or more than two ideas together, see which one comes out on top, and that's the one we adopt. And if you do that over and over again, First of all, we hope that we have the best solution every time because we've let the ideas battle it out. But also, I feel confident. I don't need to really question it as much. If someone wants to bring some more information in, well, that's great. Let's let's take a let's take a look at it. But I don't have to worry about did I do it the right way because we let the ideas battle it out, and whichever one was best succeeded. And to do that enough, you get used to it. So there's also this thing, and this kind of sticks itself in the weeds. Um, everybody's brain is different. We all have different wrinkles, different uh, wiring, perhaps. So the transfer of knowledge, there's always going to be that noise like you were alluding to. This, uh, you know, you're talking about knowledge distance. You were talking about noise. So I'm taking whatever this thought is that's in my head that's wired a certain way. I'm converting it to language. I am giving it to you. You're receiving, hopefully, everything that I've said, exactly as I said it, but maybe not. And then you're converting what you heard into a thought that's in your brain, which is wired differently. The fact that we can do this so successfully is pretty amazing, but it also, I think, is a big contributor to why everybody has a different point of view. And the only way we get that is if we're able to communicate. We're able to communicate those ideas, and we let that that exchange happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I really like what you said there. Yeah. Thank you. This brings up a thought which ties back to something, Keith, you had said earlier about society and kind of wanting that immediate reward. And... Open source, I see as being one of those things that 
it kind of defers gratification till later because there's effort involved in, in writing whatever or, or implementing whatever because it's not just install this and click a button and you're done. Um, and like with open source, if I if I write something that I need, well, it takes time, but then I get the reward of then having that solution available to me. But it's not just me getting that reward. Obviously, others can get that reward as well. So others benefit. And if someone can take that code and do something even better with it, well, then now they're getting an additional reward. And then if they share that back to the community, well, now I'm getting even more reward because now I'm getting an additional benefit. But in contrast, like the closed source solution, there's that's it. You're done. There's like no future gain. There's just the immediate benefit of accomplishing a task. And that's it. And I've noticed that in general, there's a long term cost that comes along with that because that solution is always dependent on the provider of the closed source software. Mm -hmm. So when that company goes away, well, your solution just went away. And now you're facing the original problem you had before, except now you've got all this other infrastructure that's built on a solution that no longer is there. So now you have to re-architect all these other things. So not only does open source give the potential for short-term benefits of being able to have a solution, but you get the long-term benefits of it can continue to mature and grow and get better. And you don't have to worry about the rug being pulled out from underneath you three years from now. Mm. And so like, for me, this is just, this makes common sense, or I would think it would make common sense for businesses, but it doesn't seem to actually work that way for businesses. And I'm bringing this up because I know you, you have the, the business take on it. And I've thought that, I wonder if this ties into kind of the trend that I've, I've seen in doing consulting with businesses when I used to do that, where the focus keeps shifting further and further and further to quarter over quarter goals and, and reaching that metric to be able to say, oh, look, look how good we did this quarter and not let's build something out that's going to take five, 10 years and reap tons of gains. It's that, no, we got to get that quick gain so I can show what a great, you know, executive VP I am. And I've, I've been in situations where I've been doing consulting for a company and I know for a fact that the sales team deferred sales for half a quarter so that they could report, oh, this quarter was really bad, the economy's down, there's all these problems. And then as soon as the quarter rolls over, they process all them and then get their normal quarter in. So then they could be the miracle worker of, oh, well, look look at the bad economy we were in and now look at what I was able to pull off. Mm. And then use that to then springboard to another business. And it seems that like, Businesses these days aren't focused on investing for long-term goals and long-term gains. Whereas I think in the open source world, that's just kind of the default. We're always building for the future because we've, we're building on what came before and we're just the next person in the chain. Mm -hmm. So how can, how can we as, as open source people affect the way that, that, that kind of mindset of I need an immediate gain and who cares about the future that seems not just prevalent in business, but kind of prevalent in society in general. Yeah, that, that's a, that is a, um, yeah, that's, that's very astute. I, um, whew, I, I have, if you ever listen to, and, and the whole, cause I'm an, I'm an active investor too. Um, if you've ever listened to, um, 
you know, an equity call. So, you know, like Microsoft, <laughs> Microsoft reporting earnings. It's, and I'm picking, I'm going to, of course, I'm going to pick on Microsoft. Of course, I want to pick on Apple because why course, not, right? Yeah. The fruit company. They can take uh, it. It's putting aside the pretentiousness, putting aside the fact it's closed source, and just keeping it like we're saying here, just looking at this generally speaking. This, this, um, this short-sightedness of quarter-over-quarter mm. gains being more important than what I would call, what I used to tell people is, don't worry about the money, do a good business, right? Mm-hmm. If, you know, you talk to new people, right? They're like, I don't want to do this. But find something relevant, do a good business. The money will come. It's, it's what I call the field of dreams concept. If you build it, they will come. Because the, the, the little secret that most people don't realize when it comes to business is that all businesses grow. The problem is that they get to because this is the growth situation, right? They grow to a point where now you have to start managing growth. So they get to they have a natural evolution that gets them so far. And then you really have to start applying some work. So a lot of people do a lot of creative things in the beginning. But even with, for established companies, like you're saying, you know. They come up with all these, um, th- this trickery. And a lot of it is, you know, economics. And I think it goes without saying that, you know, it's hard to, it's, it's unfortunately, it's hard to separate economic forces from what we're talking about. I, I, I would, I, I would love to say that, you know what, it's a, you have a 40 hour work week and you should be allowed to think for 10 hours. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. And and I think it would it'd be very helpful in terms of lots of things, including mental health. But there is no company that is going to very few. I mean, there there are some that say they do things like this and they get creative. But I, I think at the end of the day, um, it's very difficult to solve this from that human point of view because of the economics governing societies now and not just american size really i'm not even gonna say all western societies right if if you are an economy that is anyway based in work okay uh even if you're not i mean you can look at some of these economies that are um what do you call it um welfare economies right where you know you pretty much you know you're just getting money from the state you're not you're you, you're allowed even less dissent in free speaking there right you know, it, it, you know, we don't have to name countries. We, we, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So I think that um, if that's the case there and the case in, you know, you know, what they would call Western societies where you get shunned for thinking differently, you know, companies are just made up of people. So companies are, you know, there's the, you know, pe- companies don't, I mean, they're trying to give companies rights, but no, <laughs> that's stupid. Companies don't have rights. Companies are made up of people who have rights. But, you know, that's actually too far in the reeds. Weeds. Companies are made of people. And if people don't respect the philosophy, that the type of philosophy we're talking about, you know, um, in a way that rejects that sort of, oh, we're just going to go with the closed source thing because that gets us from A to Z and then we can claim X, Y, and Z this quarter or not. You know, we'll delay it, claim it next quarter. Like you were saying, you, you they sort of architect an economic conversation. Then 
in one sense, we're partially there because we're saying that the philosophy drives the economics, which is, is kind of what we want, right? We we want society's core principles to drive everything else, including the economics. We can't, de- and we still can't decouple them, but that's what we want. So now we have to sort of step back and say, well, how do we make it okay? And again, I, I think it really does come back to making it effortless, okay? Making it so that you can have these actions without actions. Or if I, I guess economically, you can have these actions without cost, right? Because I know, and I, and I might've said this in our talk, JT, I know I tell other people, one of the, if you're professionally an open source person, be prepared to put your time in first and get the reward later, mm-hmm. which aligns exactly with what you're saying. You've done it. I've done it. Jeff has done it. I got a. I got, I got an idea. It's a fifty-hour ends up being you know with a, a weekend project, which I call fifty-hour project. It's a fifty-hour project. You come up with the thing, business-wise. Then I'm trying to sell the thing. But I had to put that time in first to one see if the idea made sense. Right. If I got stuck, I'm googling. Right. I'm YouTubing. I'm doing all these things. Right. Coming up with something. Getting feedback, you know, from maybe said customer or or peers if it's a, a a team project, and then at some delta from that, having a finished product that we think is sellable. Now, I agree. If it's a company, how do you not engage on that? How do you how do you look at somebody who takes the time to learn MySQL or learn, uh, learn Postgres and say, "Holy crap!" Um, especially in the case of, say, Postgres, this is a very much a, a viable um, alternative to going Oracle. And oh, by the way, we're going to save you $20,000 a year in licensing or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, whatever it is, right? What, if I'm a business person, especially at the top, right, especially the, the folks that control the purse strings, how do I not want to listen to that person? Um, one of the biggest problems we have in this context with the business community, but in society in general, is that in the business community, we have a lot of people in middle management or people that have very low skills who talk themselves into management jobs and, and, and get power, quote unquote, through a job title. But that's it. They, 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 they not only, often they don't have knowledge, and often they and 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 they don't have understanding, you know. But most often they don't even have knowledge. So you know, knowledge, you know, why the hell are you sitting in judgment of anybody else? We've all been through this, right? Like, oh, I want to do this, and this makes sense, and this is technical specs. And they go, oh, I don't want to know. I don't need to know that, right? That's the thing. I don't need to know that. Oh, you're talking too much geek stuff. I'm, I've been watching Stargate, right? So of course, Colonel Jack O'Neill is always telling, you know, uh, I'm in season three, so she's a major now. So you know, Sam, you know, Sam Carter. What are you doing? Like it's too much, it's too deep, right? You know, and but that's how business, that's how corporate America is too, right? Oh, that's too deep. Just get it done, right? Mm-hmm. All these stupid things that people like to say. So that's the problem in corporate America. We've got people that are in the way of this sort of open source philosophy. Okay, and it's not to say that we're perfect at this. We can, you know, we can wander in the weeds, and and there's there's some issues there as well. But the issues 
with that compared to what's preventing that are two entirely different things. In society, generally speaking, what I find, especially these days, is that I think we need to admit that social networking has been a massive, massive, massive fail. Not because of social networking specifically, but because we as human beings are not ready for it. Okay? So the loudest voices or the, 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 the what I guess they call influencers now, right? The influencers, the rich and famous, you know, me, I, I, I'm, I don't, I don't, no Facebook, no Twitter for me because I need to be able to be sane. Um, but, you know, if, if you are someone who's on Twitter and I don't know, someone rich and famous tweets, well, I guarantee that whoever the rich and famous person is going to get more tweets. I don't need to be on Twitter to understand that. It's freaking natural, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's a loud voice. It's, it's a bully pulpit a bully pulpit of a different brand. It's just rich and famous. If you are a regular rank, uh, a regular person in society that sort of built a brand for yourself and you are this person that's now an influencer, you know, okay, it's still a handful of people that are that. And they might command that same sort of, um, again, bring them in, you show them something, but no one challenges it because, oh, such and such says this, and they are in that sort of elite class, right? This is the current problem across society that is preventing this sort of open source thing because of the open source way of doing things, you're relying on yourself. You're you're taking on the you are taking on this challenge to say you know what Jeff had this really interesting idea that solves my problem so I'm going to solve my problem and tell people I solved it with you know I used Jeff's thing to do it I still have my thing you know that gets X Y and Z done but to get X Y and Z done I had to solve A B and C and Jeff solved that right but I'm taking it upon myself to do that. And, and most people in society uh, don't do that. They're, 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 they're much more comfortable with saying, well, I want to, quote unquote, follow the worst term we ever came up with for social networking, follow somebody. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not a follower. So for me, it's just very abnormal. But I have people out there that, you know, I respect what they do. Perfect example. I was just reading something from the guy who formed uh, uh, tasty trade because like i said i'm an investor and they you know his first thing he sold was uh think or swim um his name is escaping me right now which is weird um but you know i i, I like what he's done but you know one of the things i respect about uh what he does is i just read something is that you know when he walks into a room he doesn't assume he's the smartest guy in the room he talks to everybody and says well how do you trade how do you do this how do you do that right and that's what you that's where you want to be i think in society generally you want to you want to be willing to receive knowledge and and i think you know we talked about we sort of opened this you know my definition this is saying you know you you want to be able to be in an environment where you can receive knowledge but that's just the environment i didn't talk that's not the human thing right because if you think you're the smartest guy in the room you're less likely to want to receive knowledge mm. And I, and I think, unfortunately, that may be the bigger problem in society now. I don't think that an open source philosophy 
in itself is rejected, right? That was the 90s. That was up to the tech ball, 2001. I think after we got past that and after we saw all the wins and then you get into the 2010s and now we're into the 2020s, amazingly, right? It's time's flying. This is not a question anymore. We, we know this is a better approach. But the problem is that human beings themselves still want the closed way of doing things because it's, it's comfortable. It, it, it maintains the herd. It allows people to feel like they're doing something right because the masses are doing it, you know? And again, it's not a right or wrong thing. There's, there are times the majority opinion is correct. There are times the majority opinion is wrong. I, 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 don't, I, I don't think that's a surprising thing to say. You just have to be, you have to be open to evolving. And, I, and I, I just don't think people are. I, and I, that one I don't know how to solve. I, I think, like I said, I think social networking, and, I, and I'll be the first to say, I pick on social networking. Mm-hmm. I, Walmart, to me, is one of the worst companies in the country. Then I put Monsanto. Uh, and then I'd probably go Facebook. And then actually last on my list or further down is sort of like Microsoft and Facebook now. You know, I mean, I'm saying Microsoft and Apple now because they're just the tech. They're just tech companies. They're going to here today, gone tomorrow, no matter what anybody thinks, right? You know, IBM thought they were the one disposable company, and now IBM is not IBM since the 90s, right? So it'll happen. But I think when you get into the non-technical things, which is what we're talking about here, I think it, I think that's I think that's more important. We we don't allow human beings to to be human beings. We like talking, we like the set, we like challenging each other, and I think it's become too much of a a uh, um, a bad movie to uh, have these conversations in public. You know, for for the ideas we talked about, it'd be nice if we did because you know, social networking was supposed to be you know sort of a good thing where you can have these things out in public and have these discussions in public it was supposed to be that mm-hmm. you know i was i was on google plus i loved it i thought it was great i had some amazing conversations that range from very rewarding and foundational and something to build on to things that were just utterly disgusting and horrible and things i never wanted to read again you know um i i equated it to my irc days in the early 90s but it, it just is not, that's, that is not the norm. The norm mm-hmm. is what we talked about before, which is uh, people aren't allowed to evolve. And I think it limits us. I, I, I really do think that until we reject what we're doing now in society, um, in terms of being able to talk openly and be willing to be wrong and say that's okay, and you're not going to be judged for it. I, I don't think we solve any of the problems. I don't think the business problem gets solved, and I don't think the general case gets solved either. Jeff, have anything to say? He took all the words out of my mouth. Every time I had an idea, I was like, oh. Yeah, he, he literally just <laughs> went to the next part, and I'm like, oh, okay, you just covered it. So it, what I take from this, Keith, is that you and I are, are maybe uh, we, have, we think very similarly. So oh, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's great. You, you were on a roll. I'm not going to get in front of that, man. So I'll just say ditto. <laughs> Yeah, this is this has been a, a great conversation. Um, I'm glad that we we set the time aside to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, Keith, I, I think I mentioned it to you before, but I'll, I'll reiterate it. the The point of this show is to start conversations. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Jeff and I will have an episode on a show and then it goes out and in our Telegram channel or email or Matrix, people will send back their thoughts. Oh, awesome. And then we'll usually do a follow-up episode where we then converse and discuss those thoughts. And if you're willing, I'd like to be able to reach out to you if we get some interesting feedback and kind of throw them your way and get your thoughts on the listeners' opinions. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah to follow up with that. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I didn't see so you have a Telegram. I'm, I'm on Telegram. So, yeah, definitely um, ping me on, you know, for, for Telegram and I'll, I'll get on there and, you know, I'll... Look, I'll talk to anybody who wants to talk, man. I, I think this is this is what it's about. It, it it really is. I like what you guys are doing. I, I mean, I I I love this concept. Just um, I, I've just never. It's funny you said you didn't have time to think about these things, but I never have time to to actually do, in a sense, what you guys are doing. You've committed to doing this as a as a, as a show, and I think that's I think that's awesome because this is what's missing normally. You know, this is what it this is what it was supposed to be. You know, this constant, constant communication, just keep the conversation. I was always told, keep the conversation going. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what you're just and that's what you just said. Keep let's keep the conversation going. So, yeah, we can do a follow up. We can keep it going. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it, man. Yeah. So for those that are listening, I will have the links to the Telegram and the Matrix in the uh, in the show description. My email will be in the show description as well. We're going to end it there. Everyone who listened, thank you very much for taking the time. I know this was a longer episode. I really do appreciate you sticking with it, and we would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Keith, for coming and joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Um, and one one final note is, Keith, I knew I liked you, and then you brought up that you're rewatching Stargate, and that's one of my favorite shows of all time. Awesome. So I have to give you props for that. And actually, I'm going to end with a paraphrase of a quote from Stargate. Um, in episode, so episode 100, they did a parody episode on themselves. And then for episode 200, they did a parody of their parody, (laughs) um, which was, which was great. And one of the lines in that show, it was episode 200 was science fiction is an existential metaphor that will allow us to tell stories about the human condition. Isaac Asimov once said, individual science fiction stories may seem as trivial as ever to the blinder critics and philosophers of today. But the core of science fiction, its essence, has become crucial to our salvation if we are to be saved at all. I'm going to paraphrase that and say individual open source projects may seem as trivial as ever to the blinder critics and philosophers of today. But the core of open source, its essence, has become crucial to our salvation if we are to be saved at all. 